Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, here's what's to come on this edition. First up, she's known as Chewbacca Mom, whose video of her trying on a mask of the famed Star Wars character is the most popular Facebook Live video ever. Candace Payne has a story of God's joy expressed in times of difficulty. You'll be hearing from her. Then it's someone who has not only dealt with PTSD effectively through the power of Christ in his own life, but who is teaching resiliency to active duty military and PTSD recovery for returning veterans. It's Chad Robichaux of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Plus, you'll meet Marcus Chong, who has attempted to bring together elements of worship music with Broadway through a production in which he's been involved for years. The original cast recording is out, and you'll gain some information about the concept. Also material from a very timely conversation with Danny Petrie, whose latest suspense novel deals with a terror threat and intends to offer a sense of hope consistent with the hope found in Christ. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, filmmaker Judd Brannan discusses his new movie, which is set against the backdrop of dirt track stock car racing and offers a central theme related to forgiveness. Then it's some commentary from attorney Travis Weber of the Family Research Council, who provides some analysis of a recent decision by a federal judge to put on hold portions of the administration's policy toward transgender individuals serving in the military. Finally, with the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act now underway, Michael Gardner of Christian Care Ministry, which operates the MediShare Health Sharing Program, presents this option, which is based on the concept of Christians bearing one another's burdens. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Her viral Facebook Live video shows her trying on a mask of a famous Star Wars character and showcases her infectious laugh. Her name is Candace Payne, famous as the Chewbacca Mom. The video is the most popular in the history of Facebook Live, with over 170 million views. She's written a book that deals with matters of joy and challenges. It's called Laugh It Up. Embrace freedom and experience defiant joy. Here now is Candace Payne. I could say many things about the video changing my life, but in all honesty, being a person of faith, I got to tell you, I really feel like this is one of those moments where God is, is quoting that scripture over us. He will use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. There are people that are thinking, why is this lady that's laughing in a video that lasts four minutes and three minutes of it are laughing, getting any kind of platform and extending 15 minutes of fame and all this stuff. For me, it was way more than a viral video, way more than just a moment. I believe it was one of those good works that was already prepared in advance for me. And it was something that launched me into a place where I found a piece of my calling and my destiny. I wanted you to to kind of take us through a bit of your life because things for you have not always been easy. Tell us just a bit about some of the challenges that you faced in your life. Listen, there is nobody immune from what life brings you. We all are going to experience sorrow, suffering, loss, heartache disappointment, regret. Listen, I don't know a single person that gets a free pass. And for me, my story, it may look different than somebody else's, but I have not been immune to that. I've walked through my own struggles 
of depression, postpartum depression, also suicide attempt. I I found myself homeless at the age of nine with my family trying Mm. to live in a van at an RV park. And I'm telling you, this is not just some lady that can have privilege and sit in her car and must be able to afford a fun day. And, you know, we, we had chosen to be a one income family and we're living paycheck to paycheck. The, (laughs) the very months before this video, I was standing in a charity line for school supplies for my kids. If you want to know the honest truth, my story is not much different than everybody that's listening to this. And I also respectfully know that it's not much harder than some other people have had it either. But the reality is, is I found a way. I've literally found a way to defy what life throws at me by, by embracing it with an attitude that says I want all adventure and I want joy wherever I can find it. And I'm going to fight back with life circumstances with joy. Where did your life intersect with the presence of Christ? Was it when you were a child or perhaps later on? Oh, I've I've been a church kid all my life. Yeah. I grew up in church and when we my family would get together, we would have basically a gator homecoming. We would all <laughs> sing southern gospel songs and and you know, we would get together and I I remember at 6 years old giving my life to Jesus on my parents waterbed. Um, they led me to the Lord in the prayer of salvation. And, and it wasn't until about age 12 that I really kind of understood what that prayer meant. But I know that that was real when I was six. Um, but at 12, I started thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be, you know, a, a, a Christian, do the best I can being a Christian. And I, I found myself, honestly, about six years ago at a crossroads in my faith, really sick and tired of it and wanting to throw in the towel altogether because somewhere along the way, I think we lose perception and and the reality of that our righteousness is already settled. Our debt's already paid, and we don't have to strive in vain for that. And I've spent most of my Christian life really trying to just be right with God when I was already right with Him because of what Mm. Jesus did. And uh, there was this new charge and a new passion in me to be just fully committed, just fully committed to God. And that, not being fully perfected, I hope that people understand what I'm saying here. Uh, the eyes of the Lord search the earth to and fro, looking for hearts that are fully committed to Him, that He can strengthen. And for the first time about six years ago, I found myself in my faith saying, I'm all in. Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it with this life, I'm there. And it was a game changer. And so, yeah, of course, I've, I've grown up. Uh, probably like a lot of people that have attended church all the time. Um, But I really feel like my faith increased and became my own very recently. Candace Payne here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, CandacePayne.me. Candace is spelled C-A-N-D-A-C-E. Payne is P-A-Y-N-E. Well, continuing now on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Chad Robichaux founder and president of Mighty Oaks Foundation and Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. In a recent conversation, he discussed his life story and the circumstances leading up to his trusting Christ as his Savior, as he relates in the book, An Unfair Advantage, Victory in the Midst of Battle. He also shared information from the book he has co-written, entitled The Truth About PTSD. 
From that conversation, this is Chad Robichaux. Many of the, the signs and symptoms of, of PTSD, as it's defined, is uh, it happens in the midst of traumatic events and, and a mo- or a series of traumatic events. And the, the, the way the military and the view is through a, a manual called the DSM-5, the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, 5th edition. And they have it listed as a mental disorder, and uh, which to me is a problem because when anytime you, you list something as a disorder, uh, it, it doesn't get treated always the right way, and uh, and it's you know right now what we've seen in the last in the last uh, you know eight years or nine years now, we've seen a hundred percent of the treatment from the military being a clinical treatment, and we've we failed miserably. I think a lot of the efforts have been very well intended, but we failed miserably, and I think. The, the beginning of failure to treat this is, is not understanding what it is and, and how to deal with it. And it goes back to the definition when the DSM-5 really relates this as a, as a mental disorder, it it's, couldn't be further from the truth. You know, the, the common definition of post-traumatic stress is the body's normal response to an abnormal situation. So if a body is responding normally to an abnormal situation, well, my body's doing exactly what it was created to do for a very simple reason, to protect itself from uh, future danger and your body is it's actually brilliant the way god created our bodies to be able to protect ourselves from a series of traumatic events and um and that's not a disorder at all and you don't need to take 30 to 40 pills a day to numb yourself to treat that well obviously this is something that should ideally be identified what have you found and as you relate in the book the truth about ptsd to be some of the, the the characteristics as far as responding to these signals that the body is sending. Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I would definitely agree, and, and I think anyone who's experienced PTSD or, or treated those with PTSD would admit that the symptoms are very real, and I'm not discounting that at all. I mean, I, I personally have experienced. I mean, you heard me talk earlier. Sure. You know, the panic attacks, the, the overwhelming sense of doom, the, the terror that you feel like you're going to die at any moment, you're going to not be able to breathe. You feel like your body's just going to stop working. Those things are very real, and sometimes medications are, are needed. Um, but those medications and those clinical treatments should be – they should be like a, a pit stop on the road to recovery, but they shouldn't be a destination. You should be diagnosed for a life sentence of being disordered and be on um, medications for the rest of your, of your life. And, uh, you know, it's just like if, I, if I'm going on a jog and I sprain my ankle, you know, sure, it's, it's going to be injured and it's going to hurt. But I should be able to put a bandage on it in the worst case, put a cast on it, and in you know, a few weeks, a few months down the road, I should be up and running again. And uh, that's no different when this. This is a, this is a, you know, a, a spiritual wound, wound, which requires a spiritual remedy uh, on top of you know any medications that may or may not be needed. And uh, when you, when you, you, when you have a spiritual encounter through spiritual warfare and, and witness evil things and and you have these traumatic events, there's no way to heal the soul. There's no sharp cuts, no way around it. No psychologist, no clinician that can heal the soul besides a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I truly believe that, you know, regardless of you're in Iraq, Afghanistan, or anywhere else in the world, there's a, there's a million ways that you can get hurt in this world uh, emotionally and spiritually, but there's really only one way to get well, and that's through, you know, relationship with Jesus and, and aligning our lives with the lives that we were created to live. And that that's the path forward. That's the the hope that can be found, and that's uh, you know, that's the true path to recovery. Chad Robichaux here on The Intersection. Learn more about Mighty Oaks at mightyoaksprograms.org. Well, next up, it's Marcus Chong. 
co-producer and co-author of the book and lyrics for the musical presentation Angels. In our conversation, he discussed the concept of the musical and the original cast recording featuring a number of Broadway performers. That recording is now available. Here now from that conversation is Marcus Chong. The initial inspiration goes back to when I first experienced the stories and music and shows that changed my life. And as a teenager, I essentially uh, was an atheist and I made the shift to actually have an understanding and a belief in God through the stories and music and shows that I experienced. So the origin of angels really comes from um, uh, a place of wanting to contribute and create stories that could actually help people uh, see and encounter uh, the the reality and the truth of uh, of, of of the the spirit of God, and that's how we came to develop this story of angels. Well, t- take us through the the plot when you talk about a uh, a presentation involving angels. Set this up for us, if you would. Sure. So, angels is a story about seeking your purpose. Essentially, it's a a story about hope, friendship, and purpose. And we tell this story through the eyes of one angel, Sarah, the angel of light, who has this amazing power to create the stars in the sky and, you know, the the sun, paint the sunrise and sunset. And, And even though she has this great power, she thinks that the true heroes are the ones that go to earth and guard the humans and uh, when it's announced one day that a single angel will be chosen for a special honored role she seeks to uh, prove herself uh, worthy that she can be like those guardians Uh, of course uh, this ambition is seen by the enemy lucifer who manipulates this ambition causing tragic results for all involved and it's only when she uh, humbles herself and truly accepts the role that she was made to do, that divine power comes to her to defeat the enemy and she discovers that she is that chosen angel to bear that special honoured role and that honoured role is to place the star in the night sky on the eve of the first Christmas. Is this something that is rather unusual? Of course, you've got the studio cast recording. It is releasing. It's on Broadway records. You have a number of Broadway cast members that are singing on this. I would think generally the soundtrack comes following the the opening of a presentation on Broadway. Is that is that a correct perception on my part that this might be a, a, a bit unusual as far as the rollout? Yeah, so uh, what we're doing certainly is a, uh, a different path uh, than the typical uh, Broadway show. Uh, but it's not altogether uh, unheard of. Uh, if you think back several years ago to uh, Jesus Superstar, that began first as an album before it made its way to the Broadway stage. And so um, in uh, taking a lead from what we have seen uh in the past, but also our vision for this in the future, because our goal is really to maximize participation uh, with uh, communities and people with this show, Angels. And we thought, as a first step, we want to release the music, release the album, and get it out there in as many uh, uh, eyes and ears as possible. And then that will lead us to what you alluded to earlier, 
to actually put it in the hands of communities, of schools, of churches, so they can stage their own production of angels. What would you want audiences really to take away from the, the soundtrack album and ultimately the, the musical as it's staged in person? This is a message of hope. Uh, it's a message of friendship, and it's a message of purpose. And as people listen to this album, uh, I've, I've seen and heard people literally uh, break into tears that they've been moved by the power of this music. And I uh, must give a shout-out to composer Ken Lai for his remarkable work on uh, composing the amazing music on this uh, musical. Uh, but the impact that it has is so powerful that just from listening to the music, people uh, are, are feeling this sense of hope, uh, a sense of healing, because as we know, great music is not just entertainment. It is a spiritual dynamic of, of healing, of inspiration, of connection to, to God that occurs as, as we listen to you know, true, true worship. Marcus Chong here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website sarahangels.com. Sarah, which is the name of the main character in the musical, is spelled S-E-R-A. The Intersection continues now with romantic suspense novelist Danny Petrie, who discussed with me recently the plot and themes of her latest book, called Blind Spot, part of the Chesapeake Valor series. The book intended to communicate the concept of hope in crisis. Here now is Danny Petrie. Declan is in the chase of his life, but he isn't sure exactly what he's chasing. He's threatened by a terrorist that the wrath is coming, but he fears something horrible is about to be unleashed on American soil. When his investigation leads him to a closed immigrant community, he turns to crisis counselor Tanner Shaw to help him. Tanner has sought justice for refugees and hurting around the world. And if there's anyone who can help him, it's her. She's recently joined the FBI as a crisis counselor, so she now has more opportunity to butt heads with Declan. Tension also includes a spark she can't deny, and Declan feels the same. But before anything can develop between them, they discover evidence of a terror cell and soon are in a race against the clock to stop the coming wrath that could cost thousands their lives. Tanner um, had, pr prior to coming to work with the FBI, had worked with an organization called a Global Justice Mission, which is um, loosely based off of the International Justice Mission. And she worked in Cambodia in an aftercare program for young girls who were rescued from human and sex trafficking. And she has just kind of committed her life and has a heart for helping people who are suffering, who have been trafficked, who are trying to make a new start and a new life. And she is working with these women and men and helping them to make a new life in a new country. And the FBI hires her to bring her in to work this particular terrorist case because they know that the terrorist network ties through the immigrant community. And so that's kind of how that's layered together. What would you say, based on the picture that you paint in this particular book, what is it that Americans, as you see it, need to be aware of? I think they just need to be aware of how hard that fight is and the men and women that are in that fight on a daily basis and just really supporting 
those people, uh, whether they be military, whether they be federal agents, whether they be police officers, just giving them our support and praying for our country. Um, you know, God talks about praying for the nations, and we really need to be praying for our nation right now. Um, and I think people need to be aware. They need to be listening to the news, and they need to be paying attention, um, myself included, um, because until I started writing this book, I really didn't have, and I still don't quite have a full grasp on it, but um, there's so much literature out there, and there's so much that people can read if they're interested in it. And um, I just think it's something to, to, to be in deep prayer about, and it's definitely something that we should be paying attention to. Let's talk just a bit about how faith is integrated and how there's an element of hope in Christ in this particular book. How, how was that part of the, the overall concept of Blind Spot? I am not a plotter. I don't ever start out with a particular theme in mind. Um, particularly, I don't start out with a spiritual theme in mind, um, because I find if I start out with one, then I tend to pay so much attention to it that I almost feel like I'm preaching, and I never want that to be the case. Um, I want the characters to tell the story, and um, just like Christ is part of my daily life, and He's with me through the struggles and the ups and downs, and He's sovereign in my life. He is that way in my character's life. And so my stories, particularly we're discussing Blind Spot, God is at work through Declan and through Tanner, and they are, they're struggling with those issues. Um, Tanner has a really rooted faith in God and his sovereignty and is able to see hope a lot better than Declan. Declan tends to focus on the tragedies in this world and sometimes forget about the hope, and so he through Tanner and through their discussions and through God working through his life, is able through the story and through the journey God brings them to, to realize that God is intimately involved in our daily lives and that he's sovereign and that there's still good in the world, even though there's a lot of bad, and um, that he's serving a purpose. He's serving the call that God has placed on his life. And by serving that purpose and that call and by serving God, there's hope to be found in his Savior. And knowing that eternity is waiting for us where none of this will exist also gives them hope. Danny Petri here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, Danny, D-A-N-I, Petri, P-E-T-T-R-E-Y dot com. This is the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and the website address is meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House radio program. There's also The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, I had a chance recently to chat with the director of the new movie Champion, produced for DVD and digital platforms. His name is Judd Brannan. In our recent conversation, he discussed the concept and plot of the film, which is centered around dirt track stock car racing. He also talked about some of the themes integrated within it, including the central theme of forgiveness. Here now is Judd Brannan. You know, I think my inspiration probably... Uh 
was, you know, seeing what the Kendricks had done uh, was huge. Uh, seeing what they'd done through facing the Giants and fireproof and how they were able to uh, reach people uh, in their community and then and it grew from there. And so that's sort of uh, one of the inspirations. I had seen, I had seen such a power uh, the video has. Um, so let me let me take you back for that real quick. Sure. Uh, I worked uh, for First Baptist Woodstock, like you said, for 13 years. And uh, one of the opportunities I had there was to make some music videos. And I made a music video for a band that was in our church uh, called This Hope. And they travel all over the country. It's five guys, and they're, they're a, a gospel-oriented group. But I made a music video for them. And um, they began to see how uh, that really reached people. They use it in their concerts. And so uh, they began to get emails and, and calls, and that video ministered, and I realized that that video could be in more places than I could be. And so uh, that's sort of the inspiration for the movie. Could, could I do something that, you know, outlives me, you know, and can go and spread and be in more places than I can be, right? And so that was sort of the inspiration. And so then when, when uh, uh, Facing the Giants and, and Courageous came along, I said, wow, you know, um, maybe it is possible. Maybe maybe a, a, a local guy can make a film. And so that's kind of where it started. How did dirt track racing become really the central focus here? That's 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 a good question. So <laughs> once I felt like the Lord was calling me to to make a film, I said, okay, well, what do I have right here in my hometown? What's what's unique here? Um, and we had a local dirt track uh, dirt track up the street. I'd never been there, and so I just started going. You know, and I started uh, uh, meeting the drivers, and I met the owners of the track, and, and I really began to sense this. It was uh, very family-oriented, uh, and there was a ton of energy there, uh, just a, a lot of people at the track. And uh, I said, man, this would make a ba great backdrop uh, for a story. Now, obviously, the story is about so much more. It's about forgiveness and fatherhood and foster care. Uh, but but the the racing pro provided sort of that unique uh, hook or you know unique element of, of energy and excitement that I think that uh, that people will enjoy when they see the film. Well, let's set up the plot now for our listeners. Tell me just a <laughs> bit about the story here. Sure. Well, the the story really focuses on uh, uh, t two men. It's sort of our main uh, uh, protagonist in the film, and and they uh, each of them are kind of uh, reconciling uh, some issues with each other and they're having to learn to forgive each other uh, for some things that's happened and they're also learning how to forgive themselves so really at the heart of the movie the, the central part of the movie is about forgiveness one of the dynamics of this particular film is forgiveness tell me how you were able to express that and work it into the overall plot here you know, I think forgiveness is so uh, important. I think we, uh, one of the things that I prayed about before we started is, is uh, you know, Lord, what what would you want this movie to be about? And, uh, you know, I kept coming back to forgiveness. I think I've seen, um, even in my own family, uh, unforgiveness. Uh, we obviously, we, we see it every day uh, through uh, social media and through, uh, through the news, through our culture, and how our country is so divided on so many issues. And so I felt like the Lord was just leading us to, to, to make a film uh, about forgiveness, because we felt like if if we could get people to understand um, basically what Christ has done for them, 
uh, through forgiveness, that they could begin taking steps in their own life to to forgive uh, family members, to give coworkers, friends, um, and and begin that journey because unforgiveness is such a poison in your life, and and really when you can release that, you're so freed up to uh, to really uh, find out what's in store for you from from the Lord. So, uh, you know, we we tried to um, weave that in the story in so many ways uh, through our main characters. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I think, I think people are really going to be able to, to, um, identify that with that when they watch the movie. Judd Brannon here on the intersection, find out more about the film by going to the website, championthemovie.com. Well, the intersection continues now with Travis Weber, attorney with the Family Research Council. In our conversation, he shared his response to a federal judge's ruling placing on hold part of the Trump administration's ban of transgender individuals serving in the military. From that conversation, here is Travis Weber. President Trump's activities in this area have returned us to the way the military has treated this issue for the past uh, hundreds of years since our nation's founding. Um, This is an important point because we'll hear about how the administration is trying to reverse course on some supposedly longstanding status quo and legal legal regime. That's not true. President Obama radically altered the direction of the military toward a down a path of social engineering experimentation, which we have no decently, um, no long history of assessing this issue in the military. So President Trump's resetting us back to the status quo we were at in terms of whether the military will allow those identifying as transgender to serve openly and provide full medical care and gender transition surgery and everything else to them. So that's important to understand about what President Trump's action actually did. This was a challenge to that action. Federal judge ruled Uh, that it violates the Fifth Amendment rights of people who could be affected by it, I think erroneously for several reasons. Nevertheless, she issued that ruling, put a temporary hold on the policy uh, until the merits of this case play out and or um, the administration um, does something which makes the case moot. Mm. And the the president had already directed those, such as Secretary of Defense Mattis and others in leadership of the Defense Department, to go ahead and and craft those guidelines. Now, as I understand it, this this injunction issued by the federal court judge actually blocked enforcement of parts of the policy. Are there some of the elements of the policy that are going to be allowed to go forward? Yeah, well, the, the part of the the uh, policy affecting uh, surgery and medical treatment is, stays in place because the judge said that um, you know none of the plaintiffs could show that they they um, were affected by that. I mean, I would argue that um, you know this is in a question of standing. You have to show an injury in these cases in order to uh, get a, get a ruling in your favor. I think this is something that is often the case. Yet courts will still declare there to be standing. Um, however, oftentimes, um, you know, the standards for showing an injury uh, are just too tenuous and loose and uh, need to be tightened up. It's kind of a separate issue, but we see it manifested in this case and in other cases. However, the judge allowed that part of the policy to go forward, blocking other parts, um, I-, I think erroneously, for a couple of reasons. One, she should have deferred to the executive in the context of military operations and national security and that deference would not permit her to rule as she did here. 
she paid lip service to that deference, states the standard in her opinion, but offers it no analysis and uh, certainly um, no no robust, significant analysis of why she would be allowed to meet and overcome the the deference required by long-standing Supreme Court precedent and our Constitution, deference to the military in this area or the executive in this area, why she somehow meets that. She doesn't explain that sufficiently. Secondly, um, so, you know, if she didn't, if she couldn't show that, then uh, she doesn't even really get to the second prong. Nevertheless, she proceeds to the second prong or the second uh, um, area where I think she erred, um, which is whether there are Fifth Amendment equal protection rights for those identifying as transgender sufficient to have a class protected on the basis of their gender identity. Um, you know, so she, she goes in it ruling in this area and says uh, there is a class um, of those based on their identified gender identity um, that is entitled to protection. You know, but this is not legally supportable. She even admits there's no um, no no prior uh, precedent, no precedent on this opinion um, or this issue. Nevertheless, uh, points to cases involving other issues, and then concludes that um, uh, the standard for um, declaring that the executive violated constitutional equal protection principles in this area um, somehow met that standard was met. I don't think it was, and I don't think there's even precedent for what she did. But nevertheless, she arrives at this conclusion. So I think in these two ways she errs. Uh, this is unfortunate. I, I expect and hope the DOJ to appeal uh, this ruling. I, think, I just think it was wrong as a matter of law, so we hope they appeal it. Travis Weber here on The Intersection. The FRC website is frc.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, in light of the open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act, Michael Gardner, Senior Director of Marketing and Communications at Christian Care Ministry, which operates the MediShare Healthcare Sharing Program, discussed its concept and some of the logistics. Here now from that conversation is Michael Gardner. MediShare is uh, operated by an organization called Christian Care Ministry. Uh, and MediShare is basically a healthcare sharing program. So we're uh, based upon um, the idea of sharing. Um, and we take our inspiration from the book of Acts in the early church, you know, where we read about the fact that believers came together and shared with what they had and their needs were met. And that's really a, a great picture of the way MediShare works because we have um, 300,000 um, plus members all ac- across the country now who share in one another's medical bills. So this is an insurance, it's an alternative. And uh, for our members, it's proven to be a really great uh, affordable option for them. Well, and you use that word affordable. Of course, we we recognize that the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, that word affordable is what what is part of the the name of this this law or this regulation but people are concerned and that would include i would imagine a number of christian believers about the the rising costs of healthcare we've heard so much about it and so people are looking for alternatives and and obviously you built metashare which is operated by christian care ministry as an alternative where as you said it is not insurance it's a means by which christian people are able to well as the scripture teaches bear one another one another's burdens so that's right how do, how does it operate when we look at the the nuts and bolts with respect to how metashare is structured 
How sure. does that work? So, you know, there are two numbers you really kind of need to keep in mind when you're thinking about MediShare um, and healthcare sharing. And I should mention that, you know, there are a number of healthcare sharing platforms out there. Um, all of them run on this idea of sharing, and each one of us does sharing in a little bit different way. So as people are looking at their options, um, there are some questions that they should ask, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit differently just to make sure that they understand how sharing works in the particular platform um, that they're interested in and how it's different from what they they've been um, experiencing with insurance as well, because as you mentioned, it's not insurance. But um, the, the average family um, pays right around $350 each month. Now, that's what we call the monthly share amount. So um, that's one of the first numbers you need to understand. My monthly share amount is the amount that I'm going to deposit in a sharing account, and it's used for other members' health care needs. It's not used for my health care needs. It's what I'm sharing with uh, my other MediShare members. The other number you need to keep in mind is what we call your annual household portion. And that's the amount of financial responsibility that a member commits to before their bills will be shared by the other members. So for example, um, my family, we're MediShare members, my wife, myself, and, and our two kids, and our monthly share amount is right around $400. So that means that I'm gonna deposit $400 into my sharing account each month, and it gets shared with the other members. At the same time, our annual household portion is $5,000. And so we've committed, based upon our budget and, and where, you know, where we are in, in life, that we can meet that amount of financial responsibility before we would look to the other members to have our bills shared. So that means that when I go to the doctor, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of pocket for that kind of thing. The great thing about our program is that you can really choose one of seven, seven different levels for that annual uh, financial commitment to really tailor it to your family. So, for example, um, if, if I'm a well-established family and I say, okay, I have savings and I'm, I'm able to use that savings should a health care need arise, I can choose a higher, uh, higher amount from my personal responsibility. Whereas if I'm young and getting started out and say, you know, I don't have savings built up yet for this, um, I'm gonna choose a lower one. So it really is customizable um, based upon where people are in, in uh, their family and, and uh, their personal needs. Michael Gardner here on The Intersection. The website address is MediShare, M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Well, we are nearing the end of today's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You can get subscribed to the Intersection Podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software. The links are provided there on the website. You can also get connected to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to... Plus, you can get connected to video content. Again, the website is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.